Hi, you're listening to Hello Audio, a podcast by The Venue Berlin. Every episode, we bring you the latest topics and the best entrepreneurs of music, audio, and tech. Hello Audio by The Venue Berlin. Hi, I'm Helen, today's host of Hello Audio. Today we'll be talking about the new EU Copyright Directive. The Directive on Copyright in the Digital Single Market seeks to ensure that creatives like musicians or actors, as well as news publishers and journalists, benefit from the online world and the internet, as they do from the offline world. The Directive will impact large online platforms and news aggregators, like Google's YouTube, Google News or Facebook making it essential for them to correctly remunerate artists and journalists whose work they monetize. Especially Article 17, formerly 13, has raised awareness because people are afraid of censorship and the freedom of the Internet. Axel Voss, member of the European Parliament, an active supporter as well as in charge of the new directive, was called the most hated man on the Internet by Wirtschaftswoche and even received a bomb threat. CDU politician Daniel Kaspari claimed that protesters were bought by Google. The entire debate seems to be very explosive, which is why I would like to discuss facts, opportunities and risks of the new directive with our panelists. Our first panelist is Stefan Holly. He leads the business unit media management at Fraunhofer Institute. Fraunhofer is the pioneer in recognition software. Nevertheless, he is very skeptical this software can solve the issues of the new directive. Felix Stang, he's associate partner at the law firm Raue in Berlin in the area of copyright and media law. Felix successfully represented the collecting society GEMA in its lawsuit against YouTube regarding the use of so-called blocking messages. He is currently involved in enforcing the ancillary copyright of press publishers against Google in court. Mickey Moiser. He is a composer and music producer from Berlin. Mickey is currently president of the German Film Composers Union, DEFCOM, Deutsche Filmkomponisten Union, on the board of DKV, Deutsche Komponistenverband, and in the supervisory board of GEMA. He says that the new directive will ensure fairness for artists and people who talk about censorship and lack of liberty should think about the actual value of work. The panel has been pre-recorded at a live event. I would like to start off with a very general question. Why do we need a new directive at all? Online platforms like YouTube using music for their content have been on the market for almost 15 years now. GEMA and other collecting societies have deals with the biggest platform, YouTube. And YouTube is using their content ID filter for uploaded content and licensing. Why is this not good enough? Well, yeah, if I have to answer this question, I think I have to go a little bit into detail here. So it's true that YouTube has right now a licensing agreement with GEMA, but this took a long time. The reason for this is that it was not clear from the very beginning if or if not YouTube is liable for the content which is uploaded by the users on YouTube. We had long battles in front of court for this question. 
we were as a law firm partly involved in this and there is a theory in law which is called contracting in the shadow of the law which basically means that if the liability of a user is not clear he's acting in the shadow of the law he will most likely pay a lower amount for the license fee than in case he's acting in clear light of the law which means that he's clearly liable um, for the content. And so this is, in the debate, we're talking about the term value gap is being used, which means that the right holders claim that, for example, Spotify, as someone who's acting in the light of the law, as a user who is clearly liable for the content, as a content provider, pays more money than, for example, YouTube, because the liability of YouTube is not clear. And it took a long time And the question is, is not answered right now, if they are liable or not. And they concluded the deal with the GEMA right before the lawsuit uh, reached the federal Supreme Court in Germany. And so both parties decided that it's better to have a license agreement than to decide upon this question. The most discussed article in this new directive is Article 17, formerly 13. It does not mention upload filters anywhere, but makes the internet platforms and not creators directly liable for content uploaded to their site. People are fearing upload filters and blocking of their content. Um, Stefan, maybe you can explain how these filters work? So I don't know exactly how Google's filter is working, but in general, of course, uh, you need a reference. And that's really critical. So I totally agree on everything what uh, Felix was saying. You have to make it uh, the the guys who are using music liable for that stuff they are using. This is undoubtedly clear. Clearing this with a reference database, then the only question is, uh, is it the chance to get everything inside and what you're doing with that? And what kind of content will never be recognized? Is there no chance to recognize? That is my thing I'm throwing into the debate because... A lot of content will never be able to recognize. Therefore, uh, there will be time will tell. So I'm I'm not that very angry that now it this decision was made that there will be something filter uh, ready for everybody. So for every service, we will see what that will bring. But at the end, it's it's really if you have thing uh, a track is not in the database. Because it's a new live version, it's my song, I never have a deal with a label or something like that. It's a cover song from a teacher, it's a, a birthday, it's a music from a sports event which you can't control. Everything is not ready to recognize. So we have a very famous example when somebody is singing and he's singing wrong, then you even if you could match the melody, because you are transcribing the music, which is not possible at all, that perfect, and not with millions of tracks, then you don't have any chance, because this guy is singing wrong. And that's something we already experienced with MediaMarkt 15 years ago, with a technology query by Humming, where people had a lot of fun singing in a box at MediaMarkt a track based on thousands of tracks, or 2,000 or 3,000 tracks, and uh, they had fun, but they never get the real result. And this 
was was really a disaster for technology for us. So the technology guys were saying, "Yeah, that's perfect. Let's sing the people," but we we don't sing right. We are already bad at singing and humming. There was no result. It was 0.1% matched. And yeah, that's the stuff we have to think about. It's, it's no doubt that we have catalogs. They are recognized. They are matched. They can control. Um, and then the labels get the money. But Gamer doesn't get the money. Only 30% of the money from Gamer is recognized through content filters. All the other money has to distribute it somehow on tariffs, which uh, the members of Gamer has to agree on. So that's very difficult. And, and this piece of pie will increase. The number of tracks which cannot be identified which composer, which publisher, which lyricist. But the number of tracks from the music industry will, of course, um, is, is a high rate to be recognized because there is an exact audio matching if you're loading the same track, but not for cover versions, transcriptions, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, actually, I'm not that pessimistic in this aspect. Every time I open a newspaper, I can read uh, these days on artificial intelligence, and there are many scenarios I can read about that artificial intelligence right now or in the near future will be more intelligent than human beings. But when it comes to copyright, we're back to zero, actually, and everyone says it's not possible and all the filter techniques are poor. So I don't see how this really fits to each other. And, and I know that, for example, Shazam is a very good example. A really low-budget startup came up with this idea of recognizing tracks. This is true. And now they are on millions of smartphones for free because Apple bought them. And um, there are applications for both lyric recognition and also for the composing recognition. And they are getting better every day. And what I don't understand is that law in general shapes uh, businesses. So um, liability and liability exemptions in general. So once you implement a clear liability, there is enough incentive for also startups to come up with new fil filter techniques and rec recognizing techniques, and I'm, I'm not pessimistic at all. And if you talk to people who work in this filter business, which is who? already being used, for example, in Audible Magic, um, who are working for Facebook, for example, or um, SoundCloud, they are filtering every day millions of tracks and they basically say that it's 99% accurate. So yeah, if you have the reference in your database, if you, I'm not only talking about if you don't have the reference in your database. That's the only question. I'm not talking about the, the matching of... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. It's more than 99%. And all the things Shazam did, Fraunhofer did years before. So we, we quite know what we are doing. And um, the question is only how do we get all this content into the reference database and what happens with the stuff which is not in the reference database by mistake or what else. And the biggest problem from my side, I'm doing also composings and I'm doing lyricists and I know that there is no chance to match the stuff. And why do we have Spotify sitting on millions of euros which they don't have the idea which this money goes to? And why we have 70 million tracks 70 million tracks in the US and the US Copyright Office noted because they don't have any idea from these services 
where the money has to go. But I think you're addressing a different issue here. You're talking about the black box when people don't know who the actual author is of a song or they yeah, can't yeah, trace it down. But that has nothing to do with the recognition software. Right, because you can recognize and you can match. Matching is perfect. But if you don't have a reference, there is no chance to match. I'm just thinking right now, I'm very often in talks and panels where people talk about blockchain and say that this is the best thing ever and that all the artists will get their money now because there's this new technology. Don't you think that could help? Blockchain is not for recognition, it's for registering rights. But could and that there, not there work together? To I mean, there's this database. And yeah, then possibly, yes. But the biggest problem we have as humans, so if we don't, if I don't have a chance to combine my metadata as a composer and a lyricist and my publisher data with the audio in the reference database, I don't get the money. And that's also what, what happens to me. I'm in the database of sound exchange. I, I, all my tracks are there. But I'm, I have done every single piece of metadata I have controlled. I gave it to the aggregator, and the aggregators gave it to every service worldwide. And then I'm coming up and seeing my tracks, which I have controlled 100%. I'm seeing in the US, and there is Deezer, Spotify, and Apple. And they are claiming we don't know where we have to put the money on. Because there is no lyricist, there is no publisher, my composer name is not there. How could this happen? That's the problem. We have to solve the problems with the metadata first, and uh, we have to empower Gamer and also the lyricists and the composers to bring in their information into the audio information of the record labels. They are not interested. These are American companies. And they were sitting on one table with Gamer two years ago, and they were sitting there with the whole members of the music industry, with all publishers, And we were saying, hey, we can do something for you. We bring all data from everybody together. Don't ask for payment. We do it as Fraunhofer because this is our social responsibility to do also something for good. And everybody was saying, wow, that's the stuff you would like to do. We say, yes, because we are able to do this and we can do this. Guess what happened? Nothing. Because everybody on the table, from the music industry, the publishers, everybody was standing up and saying, that's perfect. And within three months, they called me. Everybody called me and saying, maybe it's not a good idea to share data. And I was standing at the end of this period, totally frustrated, left alone, and the only guys who were still with me were the guys from Gema. But if you only have one guy sharing data with you, that doesn't make any sense. Mickey. You are part of the supervising board of GEMA and you were also partially in charge of the new directive. Did you consider what Stefan just said? Yes, we do have a metadata problem and we have to solve it as quick as possible. And we're doing it. I mean, we're collecting metadata all around the world. We started something, we is all the collecting societies and uh, in the world and also... Uh, some of the record companies called the Global Repertoire Database. But uh, then ASCAP in USA decided to stop because they were forced by platforms, by the way, <laughs> to stop it. And um, But whatever we do, if we do blockchain, whatever we will do in the future, the digital age will tell us, will have to tell us that we need metadata. We need composers' data, lyricists' data, 
uh, publishers if we if they are involved, and we need uh, ISRC numbers, EAN numbers, all these kind of numbers, and it's it's possible. So I'm not so pessimistic about it. I, I know there's there's a, a couple. Of, this is a period of time where everything has to be built up, and there's some uh, works that will be in the what I call the long tail. We have to make sure that we don't not only have the Universal and the Sonys there, but that we have the long tail registered in the database and that it can be recognized. And just to make clear, if somebody thinks I'm a GEMA employee, I'm not. I'm on the board of supervising directors, which means I don't get any money from GEMA to be independent. I'm very GEMA critical. I'm not making the money from GEMA because I control them and I tell them this is wrong and this is wrong and my work is now uh, I've been doing my work for five years and it's coming together that in this year we will see lots of digital improvements in metadata in gamer apps and where you can see all of your repertoire where you can see all your income together uh, where you have your personal app and you can see where your work is being used and all that this is the aim and if I'm, 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 I'm just describing um, a story which I'm also sharing with my friends. Of course, I know the industry. I'm registered at GEMA. I know GVL and all that kind of stuff. I own a label. But what about the people who are not interested in registering because they want to upload their music, what they were doing, onto a platform? And there is no chance to register. What will happen in the future with them? So I have, I have a song, I've created that song, I'm not a member of anybody, I'm not interested in having a membership. I just want to do music, and I want to spread it to the world, and what will happen? So that, that's, that's my question. Because it's not in the reference database, it will be blocked? Uh, no, no uh, this is, uh, I, I was glad that the blocking isn't the first thing that we're talking about, because uh, copyright and author's rights are about making possible not filtering and not blocking. And the filter that we are talking about is, is really uh, repertoire recognition filters. Uh, I think we agree on that and we need that. So this is not uh, a blocking panel. It, it's, a, it's a making possible and um, uh, seeing what happens on the in the digital, on the platform and everywhere panel. Um, what happens to that? I mean, it's, it's easy. If you see your track is taking off, you have so and so many clicks. You better register it. If you're just, uh, if you see it's it's not doing anything, it's just for fun, then it doesn't get, generate uh, money anyway. I mean, you know how. Why how, should I register how, if 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 I have one million? You clicks? seem to complain that you don't get the money. Yeah, because uh, I I can build my own YouTube channel and then getting money from from. Uh, Publishers of how, advertising how, how, directly. How will this change in the future? I don't see the impact that the directive has on this. You can easily grant a license to YouTube by yourself. If you're the right owner, that does not have any impact at all. And I'm pretty sure that Google and YouTube and all the big platforms will implement a system where you can easily click, yes, I'm the right owner. I, I will give it to you yeah, for I, free. You can also do it. So right, no yeah, problem yeah, at all. Yeah. And you can also get your share of the, of the advertisement. I think that this is really not the biggest problem. And now I'm playing the devil's advocate because the song I'm, I'm uploading is not my song. It's a cover version of somebody and the filter is not able to recognize it because I'm singing really bad. I'm making a metal version of a Schlager song or something like that. 
it's really impossible to recognize and then I have one million clicks and then YouTube will be sued because they are affecting other rights. So And, and this will happen maybe sometimes and then they will say, okay, such people we want to keep out in the future, maybe. No, no, uh, uh, it works differently. First of all, these recognizing systems are very accurate. Uh, we tested all of these. By the way, uh, I have that written down. Maybe I can do a short uh, explanation of how accurate these systems are. We do In Germany, we do the whole TV all the year round, and we have more than 99% uh, accuracy. So all the TV stations are monitor, being monitored uh, completely around the clock, and we recognize all the music on there. And um, GEMA just signed a contract with a company called SoundMouse, um, who are, have been successfully doing this on the private TV station and radio station. I'm, I'm talking about radio and TV, by the way. Uh, we can monitor that with Shazam type of software. And we get very accurate uh, stuff, and we also can discover this is a live version, this is, uh, you know, this is... Even we, we tested it uh, because some film composers, I'm a film composer, some film composers go and say, I use this track because it fits very well in the film, in the movie, and now because I sold it already, because I gave the performing rights to this film producer, I tuned them down, as you see, you've been talking about tuning, half a note or one note, and we tested this. Uh, one note up and one note down still recognized the track. So it, it's getting very accurate, and SoundMouse said from outside they will be able to monitor YouTube for Germany, Switzerland, Austria. And this is what we're starting right now, with which what starts this year. That's what SoundMouse said. That's what's okay, happened. with click we, workers we'll, in India. We'll, we'll look what happened. And if you want to know, I have that written down as well, um, about the contract. You started with the contract. Um, why do we need a directive? We have this contract and YouTube are paying. There's two things. Uh, I know the contract, of course, and being on the, on the board. Uh, the contract is a little funny. The contract starts with the phrase, we agree to disagree. That's the first phrase. And then uh, YouTube says, as, as the, in the second phrase, says that YouTube doesn't acknowledge any duty to license any of their content on the platform. And then the next phrase is that GEMA doesn't acknowledge having taken the money, doesn't grant any rights to YouTube. So the problem of this contract is that there is money coming, but legally for nothing. And the funny side of this is that YouTube calls it setup fee. Begrüßungsgeld. They don't call it licensing. So what we need and what the directive gives now is the legal duty to make a contract for platforms with right holders. And this is a different story. Now the negotiators of GEMA and STIM and, and ZABAM and ZATSEM can go in Europe and can sit together with YouTube and say, okay, we have to negotiate this, this contract and you have to give us data because what's also in the contract is that uh, YouTube guaranteed that they will give us 100% of the data of what's happened because they were so proud and loud about their content ID system. They have uh, YouTube match and content ID system, two, two uh, matching systems. And what we get is about only 25%. But as it's a free will contract, we can't take you to court about not fulfilling the contract. So this will change with the directive, 
when it comes in two years, we will sit down with YouTube and we will negotiate better terms for the composers because the terms are slightly under the terms of Spotify, which are also very low. And also we, we will establish the duty to pay and the duty to tell us what's happening. And the, as the directive says, as much as they can. It's, it's pretty bland there in this. Maybe I'm going to add um, something. And I want to make this very clear about this directive lack from a misunderstanding. Everyone used the term upload filter. There's a good reason why this term is not within the directive. No one uh, tried to hide it. It's simply due to the fact that the platforms we're talking about, they are dependent on this content. They want to license it. YouTube, 10 years ago, they also realized, based on the liability exemption system that we have based on the e-commerce directive, which is basically a notice and takedown system, which means that once an illegal content is being recognized, you can send as the write-on, you can send a notice, and YouTube has to take it down, that if they take it serious, there would be no content anymore because there would simply be millions of notices and millions of takedowns. They realized if they want to uh, keep on going with their business model, they need a contract. So they want that. And also Facebook and all the others, it's user-generated content we're talking about. They need it. They don't want to block it. And even the platforms we are talking about, like parody uh, platforms, or today I learned something new, it's called TikTok. It's basically a uh, short message for videos, I, I would call it. I don't know. It's, it's very, very short videos. And of course, the whole content is user-generated content. They want to they use it. I don't know how they finance the system, but in a way it's maybe with, with advertisement or whatever, uh, or data, yes. So the, the theory is that no one is interested to take down the content, but to license it and, and the directive give the right owners and the platforms, by the way, the means to license it. It's the other side of the coin. You have to look at the, at the right owners. Uh, they get a possibility to license the content. And together with, for example, the extended collective licensing system, which is also implemented in the directive, it's a very powerful mechanism to get all the rights you need. Um, you see, this is right, because we create for people. We don't create for blocking. But this whole thing about the upload filter was a perfect example of a framing. And it only Germany was being framed. If you talk to a Spanish composer, you ask them about upload filter, and I did, and, or English composers, they say, what? What filter? What, what's happening? And the framing was that when the directive comes, there will be upload filter. One thing that makes it already wrong is there have been upload filter all the way from the beginning. So the upload filters are there, and they won't change, and if the directive doesn't come, they don't go. <laughs> Now, you've been completely and perfectly framed with this upload filter word. And we know now that it has been designed in a think tank in Vancouver. We already know that. They did some more bad things, uh, the platforms. They sent something like 30,000 mails to the European Parliament. And there was a, a company that proved that they were, I have to say this bad word, they were really sent by bots from Washington and Vancouver. This is true. This is why some people sent the demonstrators on the street and said, we are no bots. But there had been, on the first voting, there has been, and it has been proven, 30,000 per European Parliament. And that didn't help. That didn't make them very popular, the, the platforms. Uh, so, coming back to the upload filter, 
We want to write for people. We want to create for people. What we don't want is that we do the work and somebody in Silicon Valley makes the money. And this is what the directive changes. There is one more question I have regarding this directive because it says that the filtering efforts must be made in accordance with high industry standards of professional diligence. And I'm guessing that those standards will be set by the biggest player, which would be probably YouTube. And I'm wondering if then that has a massive impact at all. I, I promise to shut up after this and leave the others. This is a wrong reading. The directive, and I have it here, says first, licensing is the first thing. Second thing could be an amount of a lump amount of money to be paid, and only if the platforms can't do this, then they are free to use the content if they prove that by all diligence and all this. This is only an exception. It's not a duty that they have to do. They have to do something, and the first thing is to do licensing, as we said. This is not a duty. This is only if they don't want to license, and if they don't want to pay, then they have to prove that they have used everything, every step and every measure to find the right holder and to treat them with all diligence. That is the clause. Maybe to answer your question, I think what we will see in the future is a switch in the liability, which also means that um, the content ID system I think will soon be overtaken by other systems. YouTube right now has no interest whatsoever to have the best filtering system. Not at all. It's, it's not in their interest. And this is due to the fact that what I explained before, that we have a liability exemption system based on the e-commerce directive, which means that you have a notice and takedown system, but you also have a notice and stay down system, which means that after you receive the notice, that you have illegal content on your website, you have to take measures, technological possible measures, to make sure that these contents will stay down. So this is why filters have already been used in the past. But the liability, if you fail to do so, is always measured on what's possible at the very moment. And this is why YouTube always proved in every debate that the system is failing or not complete or whatever. They don't have the incentive to have a perfect system. And I think this will change in the future. And we will see in other players who will take over. And this is also why I'm not pessimistic about having a YouTube in a market-dominant position to license the content ID to others. I'm not afraid of this at all. Okay, well then, I would move on to another topic. The directive has been changed, so now GIFs, for example, are excluded, but also music tech startups. And Stefan, I think I saw an interview with you where you mentioned that you were still worried that music tech startups would have issues now to get investment. That's not a new issue. So the most frustrating stuff I did in my life was working in a music startup and asking for licenses from rights holders. I swear to myself, I never will do this again because this was the most frustrating stuff in my life, hearing all these complaints. And everybody who is asking me who wants to do something with music rights and music technology, I say, don't do that. Because at the end, we will still live with the stuff, it's there. So we will live with Spotify maybe until we die. So why don't we try out something new? And the second thing is uh, mostly I I've said that it's quite naive to think that AI will solve everything which is spread by people who are 
in the focus as well why they are saying wrong things. So Google, Facebook, and Amazon, and Microsoft are the developers of the most important AI. So there is nobody who has more power. And these are the enemies when we are talking about rights and all that kind of stuff. And the same thing, the people saying they are the bad guys. And then you believe what they are telling us what AI can do. That is something which makes me really nervous because what they're showing us is something they want to sell. What they really can do with AI, what is a trust, trusted AI that is completely under the radar. And the thing is that we have um, in the music matching technology, if you then later have to prove if you're reaching a certain point of inventory or a certain uh, amount of users, then you have to uh, filter content because there will be claims that you're not using the right technology. And that's something you can't afford. And no investor will invest in a company which is, of course, not forced to have something now when they are starting, but you always have it in your record books. And you say, okay, if they are big enough, then they have to do something with content filtering. And that is something you can't pay. So you think there will be no more music tech startups? I mean, if there is a real issue in the market and someone sees that someone is solving a real issue, then still people might want to invest into startups. I mean, there's generally a big issue into investing into music tech startups because of potential copyright issues that might appear later on. But I guess if there is a startup that is solving a real issue, I guess they could still find investment, right? I'm really pessimistic about that. So that's why I'm also switching business in the future. So it's my last day being on the couch as a music expert. There will be always talking and there will be no solution. What I'm also convinced of is I don't care about music because music will live on. That's something I also know for sure. And there will be things happening not in the focus, what we are observing. There will be alternative things going on with musicians, producers or creative people in the future which are not fitting to the existing system. They will try and do something completely different and somehow this will work and this will grow up to the parallel universe and maybe this shows us an idea for the future but not with existing stuff. But that's why there are music tech startups to find good solutions. You wanted to say something. Well, actually, I think it's the answer to your first question. I mean, you, you just said that there's going to be a, an alternative system, and I think that the, the dire directive provides for, uh, the, the means for it as well. I mean, within the, within the licensing scheme that platforms can establish with the right owners, you can do basically everything. You can, you can have all the agreements you want. You can license uh, the music for free. Whatever you want. And That's I think something I'm totally agree with, so, so don't uh, get me wrong. I'm totally fine with the intention of making the rights of the creative people more stronger. I'm only not with you if you're saying technology and all these recognition stuff will solve things. Okay, I think this could be a good point to open up for the audience. Maybe we actually have some music tech startups here who want to say something about it or ask a question. Yeah, um, so I have a, like a couple of questions, but let's start with the ones that bothers me the most. Is like a lot of music genres that um, developed throughout the last couple of years 
were often built on music genres or music inspiration that was already out there. There's like a whole genre like drum and bass that wouldn't exist these days without copying something that um, the Amen brothers have done. So, at, and um, don't talk about hip hop that's based on samples at all. So my question is a technical question. If we have this recognition software and platforms and I want to upload music that would include samples or even a sample that hasn't been registered before, so there's no rights holder um, known, um, it would probably be detected by this technology and you couldn't upload it. Is that correct? I don't know any technology which is able to detect samples automatically if you just throw it in and match it. There is another thing which of course is possible, which you can do if you have an idea that the sample is in this song and you have the original song, you can 100% prove that this is a match. But the problem is one song with maybe one sample out of 70 or 100 million. This is something machines can't do at the moment because there are some People who are uh, who is this this uh, mix uh, technology who is uh, claiming we can uh, detect mixed every mix which is a mixed cloud is yeah yeah the, yeah, the yeah. People I, the I talked to an aggregator yesterday who was saying they were talking with mixed cloud and <laughs> they were really frustrated about the results uh, because they are doing a lot of electronic music to all the people worldwide there is a chance that they can detect mixes but with samples it's it's really that hard. I don't know anything, so that, that is not an AI problem, this is really a computing power problem at the moment. It's maybe changed with quantum computing in some years, but until then the musicians are already there and need money to be paid. So that, does that mean that the European creators that are trying to upload stuff out of Europe to platforms who are leveraging samples and inspiration from music that has been out there earlier, they are kind of like um, outtaken from the opportunity that people in other countries would have because the European Copyright Directive... I don't think that there will be any difference. As I, I, as I said before, I think the system we have right now is basically the same that we will see in the future. The only thing that we will see is a slight switch in... And the liability. The thing you're talking about, if, if a right owner detects a song or a sample on YouTube and he thinks it's a violation of its right, he can send a notice to YouTube and it will be uh, offline tomorrow. Now, it won't be online, maybe. That's true. But it's not going to be a difference. It doesn't make a difference to me. The only thing we need, I agree, is a complaint mechanism that someone who uploads something... Um, can claim that it was a, a legal use, by the, for example. Yeah, but yeah. what you're just saying is that it doesn't make a difference if it gets claimed after it's uploaded or um, if it doesn't get uploaded at all. It makes a huge difference. If I'm like having a whole scene that's based on samples and music that has been there before and it can be uploaded because the platforms are liable for it and they don't upload it if you can't prove that you have the license for it. So it kind of like outspaces a lot of people who are actually trying to be creative and remixing things together from things that they have learned and been inspired from. I, I fully understand, but all I'm saying is right now that everyone is dependent uh, on the right owners, even today. And if they don't approve, you won't find your content online. And the only thing that's going to change is that it won't be online in the first place. 
and not the day after. And all I'm saying is that if you have a working complaint mechanism, it will be the same result. But that's in the not end. true. If you go to SoundCloud and all these these places where people are creative with like the music that that inspired them and they upload stuff, it's still on there if nobody complains about it. Yeah, but there will be mechanisms. If, if for example, and, and I hope that this will be the case, if there will be platforms who have license agreements with the right owners who allow samples, then, then there will be a platform with, with sample music, fine. And you the have, idea of the whole thing is that YouTube will have a license agreement with all the right owners and then there will be, this is, this is what, what I think will be the case in the future, there will be more samples than before. Because the system we have right now, YouTube, YouTube refuses to have this agreement. But in the future, they have now an incentive to have a license agreement with everyone, and then everything will be possible, and you will find more content online. That's the idea of the whole thing. How, how, how should this, that work? If I'm a person that like, creates tracks at home with samples and I want to upload it, even if YouTube has a license with all these people and there's just like one thing in it that um, has a friend of mine sampled or created by themselves and it can't be detected, so it's kind of like this mixture of all different licenses in the song that needs to be uploaded, how will this recognition filter upload it in the first place? And the other question that I didn't uh, ask so far, but I'm going to pass on the mic, is just like, don't you think that this will end up in a monopolism of like the four big tech giants who are actually able to include this filter technology because like the small startups will be not able to actually buy the technology by the few companies out there that may provide it in the future, which they don't do today. Uh, in article 17, paragraph 2, it says that the licensing, once a platform license, it includes all the users uploaded stuff. So um, the problem that you have with samples is there now, and the directive doesn't change it. It makes it more liberal, because once uh, the um, technology recognizes something, then what happens is might that might the license might go to the person who wrote the first idea in the first place, which you probably find fair. I hope you do, uh, and it's. It's again what, what I've been talking about. We're not thinking about blocking. We're thinking about creativity. We are thinking about um, making possible. And this is what it says here, that once uh, YouTube pays uh, licensing, then the license will probably go to the person that you did the mashup with, or the two people who, and if you mash up something, then maybe three or whatever. Um, and you can also help. You can also say, here, I'm loading this up, and I'm, I'm, uh, the authors are this and this and this and this. So this is what the directive makes easier in the future than it was before, because before, on the platforms, all of the right owners could take your stuff down. Hi, th thank you very much. I'm Simon from Eleven. Um, a startup in music rights management. Um, I have a more legal question, um, which is, uh, do you believe that uh, the EU Copyright Directive, which is currently almost EU law, um, will it be adopted by the member states on a national level um, in a monolithic way? Like, one-on-one. -on -one? It's one of the biggest problems, uh, actually, that you just raised. Um, because a directive, uh, it has to be implemented. Not everything of it has to be implemented. The extended collective licensing system I just um, explained, for example, is an option for the member states. 
and it, it only works on the national level, so it, it fails, it partly fails if only some member states implement it, and it's partly a harmonization of copyright, and, and it, it leads to bizarre results. Uh, we have seen that in the, in, in the past, for example, the, the panoramic freedom exemption of copyright, which means that you can take pictures of, of, of works in the public, uh, has also not been implemented by all member states, and uh, for example, not by France, which, which leads to the result that Julia Reda uh, always explained in her report that um, if you take a picture of the Eiffel Tower in Paris during the day, um, it's possible to do that and to upload it on Facebook because the Eiffel Tower is not protected by copyright anymore, but the light installation at night is still protected by copyright, and which means that night photos of the Eiffel Tower cannot be uploaded. So this is, of course, a bizarre result, and we will see um, more of that. And, and also, um, many of the legal terms within the directive are not clear, and member states can have different implementations. Some of the regulations even uh, provide for that and, and give the, the member states options. And we will see many court decisions and many um, refers to the, to the ECJ, and, and the ECJ in the end has to decide upon that. So that, this means that uh, YouTube and other platforms still has to negotiate on a national level? Um, no. <laughs> we have a um, pan-European collecting organizations. For instance, GEMA has something called ICE, which includes your country as well. I think Stemrau, Buma, is it? And SABAM in, in Belgium, STIM in, in Sweden, PRS in England. And what the idea is, and it's, it will form even more now after the directive, to have one sort of one-stop shop for music licenses. So, and this is already working. For instance, Google Play. Google went directly to ICE and, and got the license for Google Play. Uh, Spotify goes through that. The contract that we've been talking about with GEMA and YouTube is now on ICE level. So... Uh, England and all the other countries are getting the same results that GEMA negotiated out of YouTube. Yeah, but, but ICE is not deciding on the national Dutch law. So uh, if the Dutch law says we're going to do it differently, then ICE cannot do that. Yeah, you know, the Germans would like to uh, change the Dutch law, but <laughs> we can't. You must be happy about this. <laughs> yeah, and I agree. Uh, I would have preferred uh, co extended collective licensing in the directive on a European level. That would have solved uh, many problems. I, I, I hope that uh, all the member states will implement that. Thank you all for joining the panel. Um, and thank you for being so open and also sharing your pessimistic views. I, I think that really helps to um, see both sides. Thank you very much. And now we can open up for some beer networking. Thank you. Thanks everyone again for tuning in to our latest episode of Hello Audio on the new EU Copyright Directive. If you want to hear more from us, you can also follow us on any of our channels like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and many more. A big thank you also to Melodrive for producing our jingle and thank you Tamara for producing our podcast. Hello Audio by the venue Berlin.